Welcome to Art Matters, I'm Farron Gibson. This podcast is produced by Art UK, the online home of the UK's public art collections. ArtUK.org is the website, and ArtUK.org is our handle on all good social media channels. Be sure to spell out the word dot. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring. Not even a dead robin? No, that can't be right. I must be thinking of Victorian Christmas cards." Christmas cards originated with the Victorians in the 19th century, and unless you've seen some of these cards before, there's no way you could accurately picture what they looked like. Before we go into what I promise will be a dark and weird look at the cards, let's start from the beginning. What's quite strange about the history of Christmas cards is that they start as Valentine's cards, and that is obviously a little bit unexpected because you obviously have Christmas cards at the end of the year and Valentine's is a different part of the year entirely. That's Greg Jenner, historian, author and historical consultant for the award-winning BBC series Horrible Histories. You can see it quite early on in the design of early Christmas cards. They, they are, they're very floral. They have flowers on them and cherubs and kind of romantic imagery and um, one of the things that's sort of quite powerful I suppose about the Christmas card is that it seems to take over on that romantic element. It seems to borrow the Valentine uh, purpose. So Christmas has this sort of matchmaking quality as well. Uh, So they start off as Valentine's cards and they kind of get sent twice a year, I guess, first in February. And then the second time would be uh, Christmas. And gradually the Christmas cards start to take on more prominence and and become much more of a, a big deal. Uh, and the Valentines start to fade away a bit. But there had been some Christmassy stuff beforehand, which we have to sort of factor in a little bit. So there had been stationery that was sort of Christmas illustrated, if you will, writing stationery that was available at the early 1800s that an employer might have written out and, and given to his staff or her staff. And also children going to Sunday school would have been rewarded with an attendance card. If they'd gone every week, they would be given what was called a reward card. And it was a sort of beautifully illustrated card with um, paper laced edging and would have depicted perhaps children playing in the snow or um, some sort of nice natural scene, maybe with kids involved. So you can see there, there's quite an interesting precursor to the Christmas card already sort of in use but they are very localised, very specific to um, single purpose, a single audience. Um, they haven't become a, a nationwide, all audience level uh, phenomenon yet. You may have picked up from their description that stationery like beautifully illustrated reward cards would have been costly to produce at that time. This and the cost of postage were two big reasons that sending letters was often saved for special occasions. One Christmas, while writing letter after letter to family and friends, a civil servant named Henry Cole had an idea. We tend to say the first Christmas card as a sort of formal moment where it's invented uh, is in 1843. So that is six years after Queen Victoria has come to the throne. Um, It's designed by Sir Henry Cole. Well, actually, it's commissioned by Sir Henry Cole. 
he is a, a very important sort of figure. He, he becomes a very important uh, figure in the Victorian Albert Museum as well, actually. And he commissions a designer called John Colcott Horsley to um, create this sort of nice image uh, of a family, three generations of family, feasting and drinking together. And it's a sort of uh, quite a nice, cheerful visual image of everyone being merry together. And he, uh, Henry Cole, has has come up with this idea, apparently, we think, because he has so many friends and colleagues and, and acquaintances that he's meant to be writing to at Christmas, wishing them good, good cheer and so on. He's slightly overwhelmed with his to-do list. And he thinks, well, what if I could just have a standardized card that I send to all of my friends? And, you know, it could have a, a pre-written message on the front and I can just sign it and say, dear so-and-so, have a lovely Christmas, yours, Henry. And he obviously then decides this is a good idea, pushes it through. And John Colcott Hosley does the image for him. And that's sort of the one that we, as historians, say, yeah, that's probably the first card. It may not actually be the very first one. There is actually a Scottish uh, one that's a little bit earlier. Um, but it's certainly the one that we kind of go, yeah, that's that's the basis of it. But they don't really get popular until the 1860s. There were 1,000 cards printed and they were made available for a shilling each, which was expensive at the time. For this reason, they weren't a great commercial success, but they did lay the groundwork for future cards. Anyone that knows me knows I don't really like cards. I have my reasons, but one of them is that I don't really get what you're meant to do with them after the occasion has passed. That wasn't a worry for the Victorians. The keeping of things is a classic Victorian trait. Victorians are obsessive collectors. They, they loved collecting um, all sorts of things. They collected you know, stuffed animals and, and um, trinkets. They collected cards and carte de visite, which were these little uh, sort of greetings cards that you'd get, but also became later on uh, images of celebrities, photographs of celebrities. They would put them in little photo albums and would show them to their friends. So when someone sent you a Christmas card, quite handily for, for us as historians in the 21st century, rather than going, oh, thanks very much, putting it on the, on the fireplace and then chucking it in the bin three weeks later, they would mm -hmm. put them in a little scrapbook and write underneath who sent it to them, what day, what year. And then the next year they'd get another one, they'd put that in as well. And so we quite often had these wonderful collections of Christmas cards. And indeed my own interest in this field comes from when I was a student uh, many years ago. God, how was it? Uh, 14 years ago now. And I did my undergraduate dissertation on Victorian Christmas cards. Around the 1850s and 60s, there was an increase in the popularity of Christmas cards. There are a couple of contributing factors, such as the advent of the Baxter Technique, a commercial color printing technique invented by English artist George Baxter. This enabled the cheaper mass production of cards and therefore made them more widely accessible. That was followed by chromolithography in the 1860s. Chromolithography allows you to produce a really good number of cards quite cheaply quite affordably, which then brings the price down. So in the 1860s, cards can be more easily manufactured, they can be sent more cheaply, and more people can read and write to receive and send them. Aside from this, there's one other event of the 1840s that paved the way for what is now a multi-billion pound industry worldwide. 
the postal system has become more affordable and more widely available. So we've had, in 1840, you have the invention of the penny post, which is Roland Hill Mm -hmm. comes up with the idea of a stamp, which means that you pay in advance to send a letter, whereas previously you paid when you received it. And also you previously had to pay more for the number of pages in your letter and also for the distance. If you sent a letter to Scotland, it costs more than sending a letter to Hertfordshire. So what's interesting is that the 1840 revolution has a huge impact early on, but still it's quite expensive to send letters. Despite postage costs, the cards grew in use and increasingly became a fixture in popular culture. They start to get reviewed in newspapers and magazines, which is quite nice. So they, you know, as with movies and and, uh, TV shows these days, cards were reviewed that people would go oh they've seen this new card by so and so it's very nice it features a a young lady or riding on a horse and in the background there's a donkey um so christmas cards start to have more of a kind of public um awareness i suppose they start to creep into popular culture and you're more likely to send them if you receive one i suppose as happens with content in popular culture today the card designs began to take an interesting shift in theme beginning in the late 1860s and when I say interesting I mean downright bizarre. I think probably when the cars start to get much cheaper you start to see Mm -hmm. a wider variety of imagery and when we talk about bizarre designs I suppose I should probably describe a few. Um, Yeah I'm I'm looking at one now which is a well, a favorite I don't know if that makes me sound weird but there's a there's a frog that stabbed another oh, yeah. frog and he's just late that so the the one frog is dead I guess the other frog has stolen his money and then there's a message at the bottom like a Merry Christmas to you <laughs> yeah it's lovely um very my bad. favorite one my, my favorite one I discovered uh, in the archive in York and I just remember looking at it going how is this a Christmas card is two children yeah. being attacked by a giant wasp. Um, oh, God. And it's just great. You just think, well, that, I mean, what, who, who would send this card? Because that's yeah. slightly terrifying and weird. And, you know, the wasp is huge and it's coming at them. And they're sort of fleeing for their lives. I think it's brilliant. Some of them are um, like that, which is like kind of like, oh, God. And then some of them are just surreal um, of like kind of personified it, or, or is that personified? Yeah, animals, anthropomorphized um, animals. I think yes, um, yes. that's a really common thread. So the what's interesting, I suppose, is um, you've said bizarre imagery. I suppose what's what's most interesting about Christmas cards is not necessarily the bizarreness of them, in, in, but it's the it's the wideness of the imagery. So we we tend to think of Christmas cards having like you know relatively consistent themes visually um you know winter scenes robins snowmen um ivy holly those kind of things but what's going on with the victorians is they are they're just much more interested in just any kind of image and so there's a huge domination of natural scenes and playing out you see a, a huge percentage of the cards that i looked at 14 years ago, and I've since seen, um, are depicting the natural world. And then you get the bizarre ones as well. So we can talk about the bizarre ones first, because they are the fun ones. But we should talk also a little bit about um, the wider stuff too. So bizarre ones, my favourites, I guess, are the ones that are weirdly violent. That's, I guess, that's 
I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is, what does that say about us? But it's true. It's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're, but they're they, funny. I think it's the contrast of like the message yes, and the image. And the the one that's immediately come into mind, which I I post on my Twitter every Christmas, um, and have done for years, is uh, a clown attacking a police officer with a red hot poker that he's about to insert in the police officer's mm-hmm. backside. And it just doesn't make mm. any sense at all. And it's not funny because it's really sinister. It's really horrible. Um, and then underneath it, it just sort of says, Merry Christmas. Mm. And it, it's just a bizarre, yeah. it just doesn't make any sense. And you think, well, who, who thought this was a good idea? But obviously there's something going on there. There must have been some in-joke that I'm not getting. There might have been some reference to some... Mm-hmm. I don't know whether it's a play or a book or a musical or a poem or some wider idea that maybe this is referring to. Maybe this is a this is some sort of allusion to something, or maybe it's just one of those cards where where the author, the artist, has decided to do something really weird and bold because they can. Mm. And and there's only they've only sold ten copies, but we've got those ten copies because they're so strange. I don't know. I think what makes them so funny is the the difference between the nature of the image and the message because there's one of a dead robin yeah just lying on its back um, isn't it and lying on its back yeah and then the message is may yours yeah. be a joyful christmas <laughs> so it's just it's so weird <laughs> it's like how is this representative of a joyful christmas yeah exactly there's one i'm just looking at it right now uh which is children at their own parents' funeral. Oh God! Um, and <laughs> uh, you just and um, it says Happy New Year to you, and it's just it's just kids at, at their parents' funeral, and they look very sad. And it's really you just think, well, how's what? Who's yeah, that for? Yeah. Who do you send that to? Do you send that to kids? Do you send that to? <laughs> I don't get who the audience is, but. There's clearly an audience for this. The dead Robin is delightful because nothing. There's no reason that it's dead. It's just lying on its back, and there's no there's no cats eating it. There's no there's no consequence, of course. Maybe it's a depressed a depressed Robin. You know, maybe he's not dead. Maybe yeah. Why am I even bothering? Um, (laughs) There's also some of them are sort of more delightful in their sort of weirdness. There's a man sliding mm-hmm. on the ice so he's clearly tripped on the ice um and he's dropped his basket of flowers and his hat's fallen off and his umbrella's gone flying and he's flying you know his legs are in the air midair he's clearly about to land on his back in a very uncomfortable way but the weird thing is is that next to him his pet pig is also sliding on the ice and i just sort of think well what why has he got a pig i don't <laughs> who walks their pig it doesn't make any sense yeah. it's just odd it's just odd really dark yeah, so so there's some really strange ones. There's some violent ones. There's some surreal ones. There's lots of animal ones, as you say. So some of the animals are quite um, they're quite adorable, really. The unexpected dark themes of the images, paired with cheerful holiday messaging, pulls each component out of context and makes the cards quite funny to someone viewing them today. If we look past the quirkiness of the cards, we gain insight into Victorian culture and values. There's all sorts of of swapping out of animals for humans. And I think this is a fairly typical thing. You know, we still do it now. We still delight in seeing kittens in hats on YouTube. So I think mm-hmm. it's just the Victorians were delighted by animals. They find them charming and funny. 
and they find the idea of animals as humans uh, amusing. But of course, from a slightly more subtle point of view, you also, of course, in the 1850s have Charles Darwin turning up with his uh, Origin of the Species, which resets the understanding of the animal kingdom. There was a similarly high level of interest depicting the natural world and images of children as a symbol of innocence and nostalgia, both of which pop up as recurring themes in Christmas cards and paint an idealistic picture of the period. So what's surprising, I suppose, is that there's very little representation of what the Victorian world really looked like, which of course is factories and trains and cities, uh, you know, the technology of the new you know, if you That's think about true. all the things that are happening in the Victorian period, and I don't really like to talk about the Victorian period as a single period because it's mm-hmm. it's a huge transitional phase where at the beginning of that um, century, well, okay, even if you start in 1837, Queen Victoria is 18 years old, comes to the throne. At the technology of that time, if you went to London, you went by carriage. If you went to, if you wanted to go to America, you went by ship and it took you six weeks. If you wanted to send a message you had to pay uh, on reception there was no telephone there's no photography is literally brand new it's been invented that year there's no radio there's no um they're only just getting around to the idea of the um uh, morse code that telegraphy system the communication you know sending a letter can take weeks or months there there's a real kind of backwardness to the technology when you compare it to just 30 years later, by the end of that period, there's electricity and there's telephones and there's all sorts of technology that we now take for granted. And the Victorians sort of took for granted too. You know, they have movies by 1895. There's this amazing transformation that happens in Victorian times. And for me, talking about the Victorian era as a single thing, does it um, a poor service really? It's not very fair because so much changes and the people change and the attitudes change. Um, but what's surprising, I suppose, in some ways is that the cards do not reflect that. The Christmas cards just yeah. cling to this image of a glorious, simple, beautiful past um, with children and animals and so on. And then the jokes, the weird stuff we we find bizarre seem to be kind of dark, weird jokes that make Victorians laugh, perhaps. They certainly make us laugh. But they still, they're not really playing Mm. up to modern concerns. They're still sort of stuck in this weird world. You know, the children being attacked by a wasp, there's no indication that they are modern Victorians. They're wearing quite some, quite traditional clothing. In all of this chat about Christmas cards, you may have noticed the absence of a few themes we've come to associate with the holiday. For example, where's Father Christmas? Or, as I call him, Santa Claus. He's a really interesting figure. So there's obviously this ongoing pop culture myth that uh, Coca-Cola invented Father Christmas or Santa Claus, gave him the red, uh, the red costume, and, uh, and therefore Father Christmas slash Santa wears red because of Coca-Cola. And it's just not true. They do probably fix that image. They do obviously have an influence because, of course, any major company will have an influence but he had been depicted in cards from at least the 1870s if not the 1860s um i've definitely got images of him from the 1870s uh, in my uh, collection uh and he wears red 
in the 1870s. But he also wears green and he also wears brown and blue. He is a sort of a changing figure. And his his long-standing story in English British culture is a little bit more muddled because he seems to be linked back to medieval ideas. There's a sort of there's a conversation going on among scholars as to whether he sort of ultimately goes back to an idea of Odin, you know, a, a Viking Norse god um, who, you know, supposedly has, you know, flying horses mm-hmm. and who delivers presents at Christmas. Um, he may also have the sort of a slightly pagan idea of being old father time, this man who sort of marks the passing of the year, who comes across, you know, in winter and you sort of acknowledge that another year has gone. And then there's this ongoing confusion as to how Father Christmas, which is the British version, ends up being called Santa mm. Claus in America. And the traditional answer to that is that he was um, he's a Dutch import called Sinterklaas, mm-hmm. derived from Saint Nicholas. But actually, historians are starting to challenge that and say, well, hang on a minute, that doesn't really add up, because there are references to Santa Claus in the 1770s. Uh, in American newspapers, but you know the story of the Sinterklaas thing was thought to have been an invention of the early 1800s by Washington Irving and various sort of um, American satirists who invented this fictional Dutch history of America. So we're not quite sure where he comes from. The leading theory at the moment it actually is that the Santa Claus version might be from German-Swiss immigrants to America, where he's called, uh, I think, Sammy Klaus is the Swiss-German version. And that might be how he's ended up being called mm. Santa Claus rather than being derived from Sinterklaas, the, the Dutch version. In any case, there is this division of an American Santa and a British Father of Christmas and also a sort of European St. Nicholas tradition, whoever, you know, whatever the name is you give to him. Um, but his iconography in cards shows up quite early in the 1870s and he's wearing red he's wearing brown he's wearing blue he's wearing green he is a bearded man he's not that fat yet um he, mm-hmm. he's quite lean and tall in the victorian cards and i think he tends to get plumper into the early um 20th century uh, and the jolly santa i think is more of um maybe maybe derived from the sort of the poem by, by clement moore the night before christmas and all through the house i think maybe that mm. feeds into it too so his image uh, does go through some, some transitions, but he is there in Victorian Christmas cards. Okay, so that's Santa accounted for, but what about religious imagery? Wasn't the Victorian period known for its morality and faith? There is very little in the way of Christian iconography. Overwhelmingly, uh, when I looked at the data for my cards, and I looked at 750 cards, so a small sample, but you know, an interesting sample. Um, only 12% had a religious greeting, whereas uh, 74% of them had just a sort of generic goodwill. And overwhelmingly, the most dominant figure motif in terms of the iconography of the cards was flowers. That's interesting because there's there's a perception that Christmas is getting less religious over time. And really, yeah, it's gotten right. perhaps the other more religious the other direction. Well, that's this is the sort of complexity of the of the Christmas tradition. I think in the Victorian era is that, on the one hand, the cards really do not give us a particularly powerful indicator that religious attitudes mattered very much. Because if you look at these images, you're getting spring imagery, you're getting Valentine imagery, you're getting animals, you're getting weird jokes, you're getting 
a bit of sort of winter imagery, you know, um, snow and robins and so on. But you're, you're not getting very much Christianity at all. But then you read what people are writing. You read poetry, you read newspapers and diaries, magazines, and you understand that the Victorians were deeply religious. So it's slightly puzzling. Why are Christmas cards so unrepresentative of an obvious religious, uh, moral, ethical outlook? Why do those cards not carry through what clearly does have a real potency in society? And I don't know, to be honest, I don't know why cards themselves don't do that. But I think I suspect it's because Christmas cards are simply delightful things. And artists are being increasingly commissioned by uh, the major companies are Raphael Tuck and Son, um, De La Rue also produce a lot. Um, there's another company called Goodall, I think. Uh, these companies um, also run competitions as well where, where artists can submit their their um, their versions of, of cards that then get picked and get published. So Christmas cards seem to be just reflecting wider tastes in art and popular culture rather than reflecting religious attitudes. So on the one hand, Christmas is quite religious in the Victorian period. And on the other hand, Christmas cards don't seem to reflect that. We've looked at the themes of the cards, but haven't yet discussed the craftsmanship. In the early part of the card's history, they would have been made with great care and could sometimes include a few surprises inside. The cards are beautiful and they are lavishly made. And very early on in the period, they are, you know, they're, they're kind of hand produced and they're really they're quite expensive. And then you get the invention of envelopes and envelopes are also very expensive, very ornate and beautifully drawn and designed. They've got all sorts of patterns on the back. And as the century progresses, there is this sort of industrial process, this standardization quality sort of drops a bit so that they become more affordable. But there are lots of sort of lovely things about them. And, and you do get, for example, 3D cards uh, in the 1870s where they sort of have folding elements and, and pop-up elements. You fold out a section and there's something hidden behind it. Um, there are musical cards where there are musical scores. So you can sing a song. You know, you can send someone a Christmas card and it doesn't sing to you yet. The technology is not there, but it does have a musical score and lyrics that you can sing a song that someone has sent to you. Um, and there are even sort of surreal cards, strange ones. Uh, my favourite one, I think, is um, bacon, just stapled to the card. Oh, God, that doesn't travel well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also um, a, a dead mouse just on the inside of the card. Is that from a stuffed. cat? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So uh, there, there's also this idea that you can not just send the card, but also you can you can cram things into the card. Mm. So the quality of production seems to drop off towards the end of the century as they become cheaper and standardised. And actually, perhaps some of the sort of great artists are no longer working in that area. But if you look at them aesthetically, from a, a point of view of, of art appreciation, there are actually many, many of the cars are really quite beautiful. And really, there's some quite innovative techniques going on. And some of the finest artists of the 19th century are working in those cards. And, and John Ruskin, for example, as I said before, you know, is very appreciative of the quality of, of imagery being produced by Kate Greenaway. So we kind of also get the sense here that Christmas cards are not just sort of cheap tat that you send. You know, they're not being produced by jobbing artists just cranking out stuff. 
there's actually a sense here that they are in many ways kind of popular form of art that is actually quite well respected so i think it's also worth noting that they they are appreciated at the time and i think in hindsight we can also look back on them and appreciate them too as works of art as well as sort of curios that <laughs> sort of puzzle us and make us sort of uh stumble over why the Victorians were quite so weird <laughs> they were pretty weird be sure to head over to artuk.org to see some examples of the cards we've discussed today seeing is truly believing with these as usual I'll be linking out to information about our guest Greg Jenner as well as other related Christmas stories on the Art UK website. We'll be back in the new year, and I hope that you'll all have a lovely holiday season in the meantime. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next time. As well as the dying frog murdered by his frog friend who stole yes. his cash there's also you know there's some there's some sinister snowmen that's quite terrifying like a really scary snow baby uh that's really snow really weird baby. <laughs> uh, and there's a there's a snowman who, who's melting and on the inside of his corpse is a woman in a posh hat yes she's bursting from his chest like she's an alien. bursting from his yeah yes. i mean it's literally like what is going on in that image he's yeah. holding his cat he's holding his hat he's wearing a top hat and he's yeah. trying to doff his hat and he's smiling he's got a big grin and there's a raven on his shoulder for no reason at all mm. and then a woman is bursting from his chest it's really weird yeah. really upsetting yeah. and then there's a mouse riding a lobster which is you know fine. so so and i'd like to say that that is um so we're talking about um, love actually here. I would like to say that the Christmas lobster is real <laughs> as evidenced by that Christmas card. Absolutely. You know, yeah. you can't argue with a Christmas lobster. Yes. Um, so there are, the, oh God, I've just seen, sorry, as well as this terrifying clown stabbing the policeman in the buttocks, mm-hmm. there's also the child in the pot. Have you seen that one? Yes. Yeah. I don't He's, he's being boiled of... Yeah, he's being he's being boiled alive in a teapot, and he's but holding he's... a sign saying "A Christmas greeting with love." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, it's it's an yeah. interesting it's an interesting sense of humor, um, <laughs> to be diplomatic, I guess. <laughs> it's certainly I, provocative and unexpected. Yeah. yeah.